1: It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show today. Lots to discuss. Alexander Mitrovic and Marco Silva's bans have been confirmed. We're going to look into the rights and wrongs over the duration of the ban and what that might mean for the rest of Fulham's season. We'll have a little bit of a final word on the Bournemouth game from Saturday. Uh, An unlucky second half defeat, a meek surrender uh, by the Whites. Then we'll preview West Ham. Speaking of meek surrenders, they had a pretty tough time last night against Newcastle. Can Fulham get back to winning ways against the Hammers? Uh, We'll end the show as ever with some of your questions and then a couple of quick this will catch on entries. Uh, All change on the Thursday club, but not for Jack Collins. He's still here. Hello. Hello, Sammy. How you doing? Yeah, still here. Still rolling onwards. You know how it yeah, is. Yeah, I can't get rid of you that easily. Yeah, like but a cockroach. we have had an athletic shuffle. Out goes Peter Rutzler. In comes Ahmed Shubal. Ahmed, welcome to Fulhamish. Welcome to Fulham.
2: Thank you very much, Sammy. Pleasure to be here, man.
1: Great stuff. Um, how's your first week been covering Fulham? Your first game was Bournemouth, your old club for the athletic. That must have
2: been a little bit weird. Yeah, very weird. It was on April Fool's Day as well. Kind of seemed like one, <laughs> one massive joke. Um, almost expected Scott Parker to come out of nowhere. But no, it's, uh, it was cool. It was um, pretty unexpected, to be honest, uh, considering how the game panned out in terms of <laughs> Fulham starting really well, Bournemouth not having anything to show for themselves, and then completely turning it around. Uh, yeah, I really wasn't expecting that. And um, <laughs> I had to say goodbye to a few of obviously um, good friends at Bournemouth. And <laughs> it wasn't exactly the kind of note I expected to leave on. Uh, but yeah. no, obviously happy to be here.
1: Yeah. Bizarre uh, couple of weeks for yourself, no doubt. You're still covering a little bit of Bournemouth though, for The Athletic,
2: I, b- I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Will still be, uh, it, I'll still be covering Bournemouth, but it'll be um, a bit more coverage on, on Fulham.
1: Yeah. Well, looking forward to uh, seeing your pieces um, and uh, and your insight on the club and uh, and what happens in the next 10 games. Uh, it's certainly an interesting period in Fulham Football Club because we're going to have to do it, Jack, without our talisman. So the bans for Mitro and Marco are confirmed. I'll quickly reconfirm them uh, if you haven't poured over it. So it's an eight match ban for Alexander Mitrovic with a £75,000 fine. It's a two match touchline ban for Marco. Silver with a combined £40,000 worth of fines, two £20,000 uh, rolled into one, uh, an expensive one for Marco. And then the club gets a £40,000 fine for failing to control its players during that infamous now Man United match. Um, Jack, I must admit, I was shocked to see eight. I thought it was going to be six. I think there's unfortunate parallels with previous incidents that have gone before where eight has been given. And I'm not sure that what Mitro did is, is quite as bad as some of those, but I think that might be dangerous territory that we don't need to get into. What was your thoughts? Because I saw your tweet afterwards where actually you said, to be honest, I'm reasonably pleased here because I thought it was going to be more. Yeah, I mean, reasonably pleased is
3: probably not the exact the exact phrasing. Um yes, I mean, I I not, I'm point. not pleased about it, but I did genuinely think they might ban him till the end of the season. So, from that perspective, obviously, three games back at the end of it, that last three games, including one at Old Trafford, by the way, yeah, just just so we're all aware, Mitrovic will return to the scene of the crime on the last day of the season, <laughs> which is which is good vibes all round. I think. Um, yeah, I thought it could be worse. I'll be perfectly honest with you. And, and, and so I'm glad that it's not. I still think it's too high. I still think that, it, I, as you say, six probably felt about right from, from where I was sitting. I think three and another three would have would have felt like it had some sort of consistency of, of what it was to it. And as you say, we've seen bans for various things in football not exceed this, which I would suggest are bigger blights on the society that we live in right now um, than someone shouting at the ref. But... Here we are. Um, As we said at the time, you can't be behaving like that. We expected Mitrovic to get a ban. We said that it was probably fair. The Mitrovic got an extended ban for what happened. It's eight games. It's a little bit longer than I would have hoped, but here we are.
1: Yeah, Ahmed. I mean, the FA actually seemingly want to increase the amount of games that Mitro has got. They have appealed to the Independent Regulatory Commission uh, in order to try and get uh, a heftier ban. There is definitely an element of making an example of Mitrovic here. I don't think that's controversial to say. I just feel like, okay, you've made your bed now, FA, you're going to have to lie in it when it comes to future referee interaction. Surely that's the only way that this can ever be deemed fair long term as if There is now a precedent set for interacting like that with the referee, pushing the referee, shoving the referee, touching the referee kind of in any way. They've surely got to learn their lessons because they appear madly inconsistent at the moment with the way they've treated other cases before. But I guess we've now just got to judge them on what they do after.
2: Mm. It it definitely seems like they've been waiting for uh, a situation like this. I don't know if you remember Mario Lamino, obviously former Fulham player uh, at Wolves earlier in the season. He got a yellow card for a tackle, I believe and then a second yellow for um, his protestations afterwards. Yeah. Um, and I think it, they've always seen the FA clamp down on, on player protests, You know, players surrounding the referees being sort of aggressive in that way. And I think this is the landmark sort of example that they've been waiting for to kind of, and I hate to use this term now, it's been overused so much, but to throw the book at uh, Mitrovic. <laughs> um, but yeah, this, this is, I think this is one they've been waiting for. Uh, and the fact that they're not satisfied with, or they don't seem to be satisfied with the eight games that are going to look to appeal uh, I I agree. I think I think it could have. Um, I think it could have. I was expecting it to be sort of a, an end, a ban until the end of the season, sort of thing, um, as you were saying earlier. But I, I yeah, I mean, it, it's just it seems really harsh. I'll be real. I, I try to be objective about these things and not take stances, but it's it, it, it does seem really harsh, and, and I think they really are trying to make an example of, of Mitrovic.
3: I think what was important here, Sammy, is that. You you made the point about consistency, right? And so now, now we go and see what it's like. We go and see, and, and look, they've spoken about the fact that it's not just Mitrovic's touching of the referee here. It's the aggressive stance in which he spoke to the ref. Fine. Okay. That's where we're going as as the, the kind of flat rule on this. Then let's see, because we, we shall see over the next couple of weeks, it doesn't even need to be months, whether this mm. is now going to be something that's in force. And if it is, then okay. Mm then all right, fair enough. If, they, if they're going in that move and they're moving towards defending referees, which I think does need to happen generally, I think a lot of this is being overblown and that Ref Support UK account on Twitter is not doing anything to help anybody's cause as far as I'm concerned. But generally, I think that you're looking at that. And, and mean, what you say there about uh, about Wolves, I think it's fair because there was that was supposed to be about the third man going up to the referee, right? If I'm not mistaken, it was the third person to approach the referee. How many more yellow cards have we seen since? Because, mm. obviously, Lamina was sent off because it was Wolves. And you look at that and you go, well, it's Wolves, they probably won't complain too much. It's Fulham, they probably won't complain too much. There were plenty of ref- players surrounding the referee in the Liverpool-Chelsea game, middle of the week. I actually thought the referee mm. handled that game really, really well, and for what it's worth. Yeah. But none of them were booked for being the third person to approach the referee after a scenario. And, and I
1: just think that consistency is what we've really lacked. Yeah, I think it's really difficult because... I don't exactly know how you'll ever properly enforce it. I mean, we saw at the weekend forest players surrounding the same referee, Chris Kavanagh, no real recrimination. I mean, it wasn't the greatest decision from Chris Kavanagh. I can understand why the forest players were incensed about the decision that Chris Kavanagh gave, but you had players almost kind of doing similar, not as bad stuff to Chris Kavanagh, trying to get his attention by like, kind of like pulling him back and, 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 The problem is, Ahmed, is that red cards and yellow cards are so inflammatory that they often only make the situation worse. So whilst they often are the most appropriate punishment, if you're trying to control a game, giving out cards left, right and centre actually tends to make things worse when you just want to calm a game down and also protect the integrity of the game. You don't want to be the referee that's sending five players off. That doesn't always look great on you because then you're not controlling. So I almost wonder if referees are kind of trying to do this with their hands tied behind their back.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting paradox that you raise. It's um, yeah. I mean, it's (laughs) players get passionate. We know that. And and, sometimes they do over cross the step over the line, but yeah, I mean, it's, I, I can't imagine, because you have to think, referees themselves are in, you know, you have a bunch of players who are obviously bigger than you uh, sort of rushing towards you. It's very intimidating. And I don't imagine this whole, you know, third man to run. I don't think the, play, the referee is counting, all right, one, two, three, there. Yeah. You know, it's it's all very, uh, what's the word? It's all very kind of, not off the cuff, but it's, it's, it's very sort it's of, it's, a heat, it's very fluid. It's a very heated sort of scenario. And it's not like, it's very difficult to sort of, gain or sort of harness any kind of control and these sort of stringent rules uh if the fa want to throw the book at Mitrovic in this way i can only hope that they you know do so in the future
1: um jack let's look at this then from fulham season's perspective um Mitrovic won't be back until the southampton game in may he's already served one of the eight matches so there's seven games remaining marco is going to miss the West Ham and Everton game. So you imagine that Louis Bo is going to be doing most of the uh, decisions on the touchline. I imagine Marco will still be involved in some way. It's, I don't want to diminish what Marco's ban is, but obviously I, I think there's a bit less of a direct effect on the team there. Mitro being out, I mean, life's going to be pretty tough for us without him. But if there was a time in Fulham's entire history, that Mitrovic has been there. For him to miss this kind of end of the season where there's not tons riding on it. There's no relegation or promotion riding on it. If there was a time I had to cherry pick for him to miss, it would probably be now. No pun intended, I assume, with the Bournemouth game. Um,
3: it's, yeah. yeah, I'd agree with that. It's look, We have to continue to, to look at it as an opportunity for Carlos Vinicius. And look, people are going to be listening to this and groaning. I know they are. As I say that, I can completely understand. But I think that's the only way we can look at it. I've seen more people being like, let's just recall Stansfield. One, we thought he had an ACL injury up to this week. Um, thankfully, that hasn't happened. He's returned to Exeter. Two, you can't recall players outside. Well, you can recall players outside of transfer windows, but you can't register them. So there's, yeah. there's no point in us recalling a Rodrigo Muniz. There's no point in us recalling a Jay Stansfield because they won't be able to play. So that that's just something that we should just reiterate at this point, because there's been further calls for it I've seen over the last couple of days. Um, also, Jay's having a wonderful season at Exeter. The last thing I'd want to do is actually to remove him from a scenario where he's playing games week in week out and actually improving head over fist as a player so just a secondary point there it's going to have to be someone within the the squad already which means that Fulham have a couple of options the options are stick with Carlos Vinicius and stick with the system that Fulham have played all season utilizing player up top to try and bring others into the game now I appreciate that Carlos Vinicius is nowhere near as good at this as Mitrovic, and I know that one of the frustrations for people over the last couple of weeks when he's played have been that he's so big and yet the ball doesn't stick to him, uh, and that that's been something that that people have brought up time and time again, and I completely understand it. Um, I, I do think there's a level of realism you have to attach to it in that he's not going to be perfect because otherwise he probably wouldn't be playing backup striker for fulham um i also think Mm -hmm. there's a level where he can improve by playing a run of games and that he will get better across the course of this so those are the those are kind of the elements the other things that we've seen suggested are obviously bobby through the middle as we saw against Brighton early in the season, which didn't hugely work. That said, Brighton are a good side. Um, yeah. Or maybe even the likes of a of Solomon, whose movement might be able to drag defenders around. He has played there a little bit, not very often. Um, we've seen him play there, I think, if I'm not mistaken, a couple of times for Shakhtar, and a couple of times as well, for his country, when Aaron Zahavi's been injured. So it's not completely and utterly out of his skill set, but it would be a move that would take us away. I, I think actually, weirdly, much as my kind of standard preference is to stick with the system that Fulham have had um, and, and to work with Carlos Vinicius. What we saw from West Ham yesterday, and I'm sure we'll discuss it, makes me think that maybe a little bit of movement might unsettle this West Ham defence to the point of, uh, of no return. They sort of crumbled to dust as soon as Newcastle started to move around them. Now, obviously, we know that Vinicius isn't the most mobile of strikers. And so for this one, this might be the move to actually shift it out. But generally, and my point won't change on this. I think the best thing to do is to give Vinicius a run of games uh, and actually to make sure that he, he gets this opportunity. He can try and take the most, make the most of his opportunity and that Fulham stick to the system that served us so well all season.
1: Um Let's then have a look at uh, the Bournemouth game just quickly. Ahmed, Um it was uh, a really poor second half from Fulham. Bournemouth, also played their part and played fantastically after the break. I think my biggest frustration watching the game was that Fulham weren't in a bigger lead at halftime. We had a lot of chances and I felt like we were a bit wasteful, almost a bit like we were trying a bit too hard to score a nice goal. I mean, I think the one that frustrated me most is when Andreas Pereira decided to try and overhead kick it. When he had all the space and time in the box just to take a touch, he could have turned... I don't know, had a quick swig of water and then slotted it in the bottom corner. Um, I I just feel like we almost, it did smack a little bit of complacency and you can't be like that when you're playing against teams fighting for their lives.
2: Exactly. And that was something that um, Marco Silva touched on after the game. Uh, You couldn't escape the fact that there was such a a massive difference in in Fulham's attacking quality. Uh, they just became so one dimensional in the second half in terms of just pumping crosses into the box. And funnily enough, Silva, you know, sometimes managers misspeak in the heat of the moment. He, he said that Mitrovic and Vinicius had uh, separate, different profiles, which I found quite interesting because I, I mean, obviously Mitrovic is a much better player. And we know that. He's, uh, Vinicius is coming in as a second string. But, you know, to say that they had different profiles uh, and the fact that um, Fulham were sort of lumping direct balls into him uh, and the quality of his service wasn't good i thought that was pretty um pretty peculiar because if his profile is so different it, to me it didn't seem like fulham changed the way they attack uh, much in that game in general so if, you, if you're dealing with a striker of a different profile maybe the service should change and obviously, Jack was talking about, um, you know, the potential of playing Bobby Dickled over Reed as a false nine. Theoretically speaking, against the teams coming up uh, in terms of uh, West Ham, uh, Everton, Leeds, these are teams who aren't going to press as high as Brighton did. You know, Brighton had a very fierce man-to-man high press, and obviously they were encouraged to do that because they uh, were full and well without that sort of big target man, the focal point of view, that you, they, they can lump the ball up to. And I think Reed only had about 14 touches in that game, as few fewest in, in, in a game all season. But against the sides like West Ham and, and, and Everton and Leeds to come, they're going to be sitting deeper. So in theory, as we saw Vinicius do uh, against Bournemouth, you want him to drop a bit deeper, like, in, like we saw in the Andres Pereira goal. We saw Vinicius drop a bit deeper, and then Bournemouth centre-back Marcos Sinesi followed him all the way out outside of his own third. And then that left a gap for Harrison Reed to jump into, and then he squared the ball to Andres Pereira. Um, that was the only time we saw Vinicius do anything like that. I think a more natural fit for that kind of dropping, deep linking to play is Bobby Dekold because he is, you know, uh, just more agile. He's got the fleetness of foot. Um, he's able to receive on the half turn. Even at times when he plays off the right, he drifts into central areas and does that sort of thing. Uh, I just think he's, he's a more natural fit for that kind of game. I think for Vinicius, he's got a lot more of a limited skill set than Mitrovic and it would probably behoove... Silver and the rest of the team to have to sort of, I guess, limit his responsibility. He's not great at the sort of linking of the play stuff. He can do it at times, but consistently over 90 minutes, we saw against Bournemouth, that's just not his game. So, yeah, I mean, Silver's going to. The only silver lining I could think of with Mitrovic's absence is that, as you mentioned, Fuller Martin really looking over their shoulder in terms of, you know, relegation. You know, they can afford to experiment. And it would be quite unfair because. And his whole time, even looking back at the time at Spurs, he's never really been the main man. And I think now without a starting striker in front of him, it would be really cruel to kind of um, just say, no, nah, mate, you're going to be on the bench for this one. Uh, yeah. Even though it would make more theoretical sense to play reading that sort of false nine role.
1: Yeah. Um, Jack, did you have any more thoughts on the on the Bournemouth game? Um, I mean, obviously the first goal that Tavernier scored was honestly world yeah, of The second goal is frustrating beyond belief. Just the lack of, I don't know. um, Wherewithal. Yeah. From Anthony Robinson to not try and clear the ball. I, I don't know. To allow Dominic Solanke to get in like that is a little bit criminal.
3: Yeah. It's just one of those. It's a mistake. Um, and and yes, he should clear it immediately. I think he has, he thinks obviously he has more time than he does. There's no, there's no moment in this where I'm thinking, oh, he's, he's, he knows that Slanky's there and he's trying to, he's trying to do something clever. I just think he misreads the situation and that can happen, right? Those, those mistakes can happen, especially when you're under the cosh and Fulham were under the cosh at that point. You know, we felt like we were hanging on a little bit and that the goal at some point was coming. And I think that was the kind of general feeling around the stadium that, you know, once we got into that second half and once the equalizer came, it was one way traffic. And Fulham didn't have a response. I think this was the, the thing that upset me most at the weekend. Upsets maybe the wrong word, but that frustrated me most about the whole thing was that at two one down, with what, 20 minutes to go, Fulham have the capacity and the players in his side to score, even without Mitrovic. But there was nothing but I'm offered nothing in those last 15, 20 minutes to try and get back into the game. And I think that was the most frustrating thing. Yes, I appreciate what you were saying earlier about the, the lead could have been more at halftime. It equally could have been less. I think, you know, I think we tweeted on the Fulham's account that it could have been two all. And that's exactly how I felt about it. It was all over the place. There was loads of stuff going on, fine, whatever. Um, but the bit that really frustrated me was that last 15 minutes where you're watching it, you go, we're, we're just not going to score here. There's, there's no way that we're going to score because we're creating nothing. We've lost all ability to make things happen. And I did see something, you know, from a, a, an Everton fan recently who was talking about Marcus Silver's teams and talking about the fact that there is a pattern of Silver's teams starting, start, starting seasons really strongly and running out of gas midway through of them because of what he asks of them from a pressing perspective, what he asks of them from a kind of intensity perspective. And, you know, Fulham came out of the traps this season incredibly fast. And it's a reason... That we are where we are in the table right now. You know, it's because that first half of the season, Fulham were exceptional and picked up most of the points that we needed to ensure survival pre-Christmas. Then there's a the World Cup, there's a break for a lot of players, come out of the World Cup, break strong again. And then it just feels like at this point in the season, Fulham have just run out of gas a little bit. Um, and and I think that what's interesting is that obviously in the Manchester United game, and I promise we'll stop talking about it at some point, not necessarily in terms of the red cards, (laughs) but actually the first half Fulham came out, we were really strong. We were impressive. We were a better team. And the second half, we imploded in a different way, but we imploded. And I think that the same thing as that happened there at, at Bournemouth. First half, really impressive. Second half, I've invited them back into the game and we've lost the game, you know, by that second half scoreline. So, There's things to be concerned about, obviously not major concerns in terms of where Fulham are, um, but there are wrongs to right against West Ham. And I wonder if just a little bit more rotation and a little bit more stress. I said I'd like to see Harry Wilson in that game. he didn't. He didn't start, obviously, um, but but generally, I wonder if there's a little bit more rotation just to give ourselves a little bit of of breathing space in this game against West Ham that, that kicks us onwards.
1: Yeah. All right. We're going to look ahead more at that West Ham game after the break. Hello, it's Sammy here. Now, if you're looking for a VPN to watch football matches and TV shows which aren't available in your region, or maybe you're looking to save money by purchasing subscriptions from other countries at a cheaper price, then we've got an amazing deal with NordVPN, where you can get a massively discounted rate plus four free months by heading to nordvpncom fullamish Now, I genuinely use NordVPN loads. Uh, for instance, back in October, I was in America for the Aston Villa game, which was on Amazon Prime. Now, I haven't a subscription to Amazon Prime, but obviously, I was in the States, so I simply logged on to NordVPN. Switched my country back to the UK and I was able to watch the lads leave Steven Gerrard's managerial career in tatters. A subscription to NordVPN is the price of a cup of coffee a month and you can use one account on up to six devices. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months all for free. Best of all, it's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. You can find all the details at Nord vpn.com slash Fulhamish part two of the Fulhamish podcast Sammy here with Jack Collins and Ahmed Shubal from the Athletic let's look ahead then to Saturday's game against West Ham At Craven Cottage, you might notice that the Thursday club was released a little bit later than usual today. It's because we wanted to record on a Thursday. We actually generally record on a Wednesday because we wanted to factor in West Ham's game against Newcastle last night. And Ahmed, I'm very glad we did because this feels like an enormously different game to how I was expecting it to be yesterday. A 5-1 thrashing at the hands of Newcastle now Actually, on its own, no massive shame in that. Newcastle came to Craven Cottage and won uh, 4-1. They are a very, very good side on their day. However, I think that Newcastle just about won that game by themselves, but the scoreline is because of West Ham. Wow. I mean, a shambles all over the pitch. The third goal, the fourth goal, the second goal, the way that um, your man Emerson is, is keeping... Joe Linton on side is is pretty poor. The first goal, where's the marking? Um, I can't even remember the fifth goal. Don't
2: think that was particularly pretty either. The um, fifth goal for me was the, the worst, worst one. It yeah, was like agreed. I had a mate send me a picture of like Fabianski diving for the ball, like Billy Elliot in the <laughs> 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 in, in, in that sort of picture. But um, no, it was it was just absolutely sort of kamikaze defending. I can't imagine. T- we speak about these teams at the lower end of the table fighting for their lives it didn't look that way in that game at all I mean obviously Kurzuma scoring and then sort of G'ing up the crowd there was a big sort of um, reaction from the crowd to that goal obviously as you expect but it just completely it just amounted to nothing um, and I'd like to say that after you know you never want to face a team after they've just had a thrashing because they will expect a reaction but I, I, I can't say I'll expect it. I mean, I'm expecting more of a reaction from Fulham, if anything, after the the, the showing at Bournemouth. Um, but no, I, I, I am a lot more optimistic about that game against, against West Ham on Saturday, I'll be honest.
1: Yeah, I mean, Jack, Everything's in our favour for this one, which probably means a a bad sign, but especially with West Ham having to play so close to Saturday's game, Fulham getting a a full week um, recovery and then West Ham being knocked of confidence, they're terrible away form. They haven't won away since August. All of this is beautifully lining up to a West Ham 1-0 victory. Um, But on paper, ideal opponent. Yeah, on paper. And uh, also bear in mind that
3: I, I'm not sure how much this is going to factor into it, but they have, a, you know, a conference league called Vinyl on Thursday afterwards. And Moyes has made it quite clear. Now, whether David Moyes is in charge or not, by the time this podcast is released, is going to be a very different question, but yeah. we shall see. But Moyes made it quite clear that, yes, survival is the, is, is the kind of objective. They would actually had a pretty good run before this game, West Ham. I think it was seven unbeaten. Uh, in all competitions. And suddenly, just as things seem like they're turning for the up, they go and absolutely crumble. And actually, with a couple of the other results, they're right back within that relegation scrap, which they looked like they might have climbed out of with, with a couple of results going their way. Um, and suddenly, they're right back within it. But I, we were talking about this on, on Ranks earlier in the week. We were discussing whether if West Ham won the Conference League and finished 14th, is that a successful season for West Ham? And I actually, think the answer is yes because yeah I yeah, no, obviously well yes I know but it's easy to say that from a Fulham perspective because I think any sort of silverware would be would be seen as success and should be at West Ham as well but I also think that the level of football that they've displayed in the Premier League has been abhorrent for most of the season so far and even the idea of being sucked into that relegation scrap is kind of uncomfortable considering the players they brought in the summer I wondered if that might be Moise's farewell tour if he go and won won, won, the, won the conference league and, and kept them up, but just walk away head held high, But like, Thanks very much, it's been real. Um, and and so
1: there's that to consider. I think that they are in a relegation battle. All of this. I'm I'm getting so annoyed with the pundits that keep saying even last night, they're too good to go down. They are not too good to go down. They They have to play six of the top 10. Their run at home, which has been their kind of saving grace. I think is Arsenal, Liverpool, Man United in their next three. They've still got to go to city. Like it's, they are properly in this, whether they want to believe it or not, or whether the pundits want to believe it or not.
3: I've been saying all year that West Ham will go down. Like, this is it. Um, but, but, like, I'm going to be interested in your thoughts on this because there is that kind of dichotomy. And, and we've seen it before with teams like Ipswich, a long time ago. Um, and, and other sides who are deep in cup competitions. Wigan, when they won the, the FA, cup, the FA cup, cup yeah, got relegated, where, like, fans are kind of like, well, if you win silverware, does it excuse your league form? No. But is there an element of, well, how often do we get a chance to win silverware? is that more important? Not to the club, because the club's main objective will obviously be staying in the Premier League. Financially, it means so much. But to the fan, and West Ham might be studied differently than this, in that they're a relatively entitled group. And I don't mean that really with any disrespect. <laughs> they just feel like they're, they're potentially a bigger club than they actually are right now. They definitely historically are a massive club, but right now, where do they live within the food chain? Um, I, I think when you look at it, I'd, and, and fans might be like, well, How often do we get a chance to go to a final, especially a European final, and win silverware? It's a very winnable competition, the Conference League. All eight teams feel on a relatively similar keel, I think, with what's left. I wonder how much their focus, if Moyes is still in charge, will actually also be on that Thursday night game against Ghent.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, I I'd hate. I mean, talking from a Fulham perspective, I'd obviously want them to prioritise that European game, just so they could put out a, a Rotator eleven on Saturday. But I, I I'd hesitate to think that they prioritised the European silverware ahead of. Um, Ahead of stuff surviving in the Premier League, because if they don't survive, I don't, I don't buy that notion that any team is too big to go down either, Sammy. But it's like there are the consequences of relegation are far more severe than not winning that European uh, bit of silverware. I mean, you look at, I mean, Declan Rice will probably be off in the summer anyway. Uh, Jared Bowen will probably be off. You have got p- all the players that they signed at summer: Lucas Paqueta, uh, Agger, that centre back, Kerszumer. You know they they if 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 you are a team that is quote unquote too big to go down, you've got a lot to worry about if you actually do go down. Yeah. So you know, I I, I hesitate. I I don't really. I don't. I don't think they'll be prioritizing that. I mean, I, any fan that does. Um, I mean, I can't, I can't begrudge them. Obviously, there is there, there is nothing like a, a European victory, especially of, a, of a, a club of West Ham stature. They want that trophy, but I think if they had to choose, gun to their head, they'd probably prefer to just about edge it in the Premier League.
1: If this was Jack, I think there's an interesting debate here. I've always said, like you know, it comes up twice a season, someone puts it on Twitter. Would you rather win the FA Cup and get relegated or finish 10th? And I always click the win the FA Cup and get relegated. But this is Fulham and and if we were in West Ham's shoes right now, we were on 27 points and we were in the last day at the Conference League and I had this kind of gun-to-my head hypothetical choice, I would take the conference league. But I just think that <clears throat> we are such a different entity to west ham in terms of fan expectation and i i i cannot i imagine if you polled all west ham fans of them would take going out the conference league. I don't think they'll see it in the same way. Like I think now they are in such deep shit. And I think maybe they kind of thought, Oh, we're going to keep getting out of this and they keep getting results that suggest they will. They won that game against Everton a few weeks ago. They beat Southampton on Sunday. And I thought, okay, this is the moment West Ham get out of it. And now after last night, and then I actually looked at their fixture list. I was like, Wow. I mean, this game is actually massive for them on on Saturday, Jack, as well. It's a big game for Fulham, but for them, okay, they've been terrible away from home, but they'll look at Fulham, wounded, no Mitrovic, no Marco Silva in the dugout. And they will be, this is a, this will be a huge game for them. uh, Probably one of the biggest that they've had all season again.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I saw something from Matt Dorm on Twitter who said, luckily for West Ham, this is a game this weekend where they're allowed to use their arms as well as their legs in order to score goals. (laughs) Um, So that will help them, I imagine. They'll be be pleased about that. Um, (laughs) that 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 should even things out, shouldn't it?
1: Yeah, of course. I forgot that there's the West Ham Fulham rule where, yeah, you can use all parts of your body um, (laughs) to to score goals. It is a a massive advantage in their favour and mad that everyone's been overlooking it. Um, I mean, from a Fulham perspective, Jack, we talked about um, the team a little bit in in part one. One area that I feel like I've just got this weird premonition that Marco might rotate I wonder if he pulls out Anthony Robinson and puts in Cedric Soares. I just feel like Marco has had a little bit of a tendency to not exactly like punish players, but just to just to tweak things when players have maybe done something that he, and Marco won't have liked that. There was and, Mar- and Anthony Robinson has been struggling for a few games now with some pretty important mistakes. He's brought in Cedric Soares as genuine competition. Now I know Soares is more right than left, but he can play there. I just have this weird sense that he might pull out Anthony Robinson just for a game. Just be like, look, have a week off. We're, we're going to put Cedric in against against West Ham. I genuinely think that if
3: Kozawa was fit, he'd pull, he would have pulled Robinson out, but I, I'm not a hundred percent sure that he'll do it for Cedric. Um, Mostly because the last time Cedric kicked the ball for Fulham, he was slicing the ball across the edge of our own box so that Brentford could score a third. So I'm not sure he's been (laughs) forgiven for that particular misdemeanor at this point in the season. But that's where we are. Like, yeah, I also think that Anthony Robinson could do with a rest. He looks knackered. He obviously played for the States in the international break. He is, you know, absolutely shattered by all accounts. And I don't blame him for making mistakes because he's been asked to do more than pretty much anybody else. This season, in terms of covering ground and in terms of the way that Fulham operate with fullbacks flying forward, it, it is his workload is so high and he's had barely a rest. And part of that's to do with Casal's injury, um, and part of that's to do with the fact that he's so important to Silver's system. Uh, it's Jared Bowen on that right hand side. I don't know if he's going to chuck Cedric in against Jared Bowen. I'll be I'll be perfectly honest hmm. with you. I, if if Casal was fit, I would agree with you. He's not. I'd be very surprised if Robinson doesn't start
1: okay um any other changes that you would make if you if you were Marco? How would you line up then if, if it if it was uh down to you um, I guess William's back in contention on the uh, on the left um, do you go with bDr at false nine do you stick with vinicius Do you put in Harry Wilson, which you've been calling for jack um I would For its
3: worth, I generally believe that over the course of these games, we should start Vinicius in more of them than we don't. But I think this is an opportunity to get in behind that team. I would also say that if we do start Vinicius, not the end of the world, considering how bad West Ham were from crosses last night. Um, They they couldn't defend crosses to save their life. So, you know, whichever way Fulham try and play this, I think uh, there is joy to be had from this West Ham defence. Much as I would start Vinicius in most games, I actually think I play Manus Sullivan through the middle tomorrow. Uh, I play Willian... Uh, behind him with Pereira on one side and Bobby on the other. Although I do like the idea of Harry Wilson coming in if he does go Bobby Reed. If he goes Bobby Reed, I would prefer to see Harry as the false nine. I prefer to see Harry Wilson on the right than either Willian or Mana Solomon, who I, bo- I think both do their best work from that left-hand side. So that's one to consider. But I would go Solomon through the middle, Willian, Pereira, Bobby Reed. And then I would actually go Polinia and Lukic because as much as I think that Harrison Reed has been absolutely phenomenal in the last two games, um, I, I think there's an element of just control that I want in, in this midfield on Saturday. And I think Lukic's passing range is just slightly better.
1: Um, Ahmed, uh, what do you think
2: Marco will, uh, will go for? Get your crystal ball out. <laughs> I think he'll stick with Vinicius. I think um, he probably wants to instill that sense of loyalty uh, in him and... I think he'll be the first to admit that he didn't have the greatest second half, or you know, the greatest full ninety minutes against Bournemouth. But that shouldn't deter him from you know, sort of switching everything up, even though there isn't much uh, riding on the rest of this season. So I think he'll stick with Vinicius. But for me, I am all for this Bobby Reed false nine experiment. I'd like to see that, and I'd like to see. Harry Wilson on the right, I know Williams back, but I'd probably stick with Solomon on the left because I think he's, he's Fulham's most dangerous player right now, Um, particularly in in and around that sort of left half space cutting inside. Um, So yeah, I'd, I'd probably go with that sort of attack.
1: Yeah, I mean uh, to be honest, I think whatever marker goes with is is quite interesting, and uh, and I'll enjoy it in in kind of whatever form. I mean, Solomon through the middle is vibes. I just, <laughs> I, I think I would really enjoy that. Just like go on, mate. Just see what you can do, and, and and yeah. I mean, it did look like Jack the way to get through them. I mean, West Ham's line was all over the place. I mean, mm-hmm. this defense, Jack, Kara again, and, and Emerson. I mean, Suchek and Rice in front of it, it is crazy that we are talking about West Ham in, in these terms because the, the quality of the individual player is, is staggeringly good. Yeah, apart from Thomas Suchek has somehow just sort of morphed into
3: an, a, a bizarrely terrible footballer this season. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not quite sure what's going on there, but he's gone from being one of the most composed, controlled players in the league to a player that just can't pass the ball. I think, if we're not, if I'm not mistaken, Piquetto put almost as many tackles in against Southampton at the weekend as Sucek did completed passes. So we're talking about a player here who's just completely bereft of confidence. Um, Aguirre is is a wonderful footballer, but he was dreadful against Newcastle. Um, yeah. And, you know, just one of those performances. Kazuma is Kazuma. He's always had a mistake in him, but generally he's been fine. Tilo Keira, I've always believed to be a centre-back. You know, when he made that move from from PSG, I really did think that West Ham was signing him as a centre-back, not as a right-back. He's had his share of mistakes this season as well. Again, young player, plenty of room for, and scope for for progression and, and a good footballer, but I, I'm still not convinced that he's a right-back. I think, to be honest, his best position is right centre-back in a three. So he, he's he been played slightly out of possession. And Emerson's taken that left, left-back spot in the absence of, of, of Cresswell I'd imagine Cresswell will be back at the weekend. They missed his ability to swing a ball in. Um, but but just generally, yes. Obviously, this this team should be better than it is. But you could say that we're pretty much anyone down the bottom of the table, right? Like You look at the squads of, of teams down the bottom. Southampton brought in a load of really talented young players. Yes, they haven't quite clicked, but there's still a lot of talent in that squad. Leicester, we know that there's talent in that squad. Bournemouth, we talked about last week about the fact that there are players in this side they're probably the team, I, I would say, that are basically punching their weight as opposed to anything else, um, whereas a lot of these teams are punching below it. Northern Forest are a bit of a, a sort of car crash in terms of how many people are, are on the table, but again, the players on the pitch should be doing better. Everton, West Ham, Wolves, look at all of them. They're all sides that you go, oh, there's players in there that shouldn't be in this relegation scrap, but they are, and that's how the Premier League is now. So there's an element of, yes, obviously West Ham should be doing better than they are, but considering everyone else around them should be as well, there, there is an element of, it's not just about having a good squad anymore. You have to have a squad that fits. And I don't think that there's enough balance in this West Ham squad to deal with, with what they've done this season. And, and what they've done this season is play badly as a group.
1: Um, Ahmed, uh, I think neutrals would listen to this and laugh, but there is an element of must win here for Fulham. Like, yes, okay, there aren't any real must wins for the rest of the season, but we really need to get over this 40 point mark. We've been sitting one or two points below 40 now for about two months, which is kind of frustrating. And also just an element of like, yeah, I know we are technically safe and the teams aren't going to reach 39 points, but also just getting over that metaphorical kind of 40 point mark would be would be very nice. But also, just like we need to stop the slide, we've got to go to Goodison on on Saturday. If we don't win this game, it could suddenly turn into a very ugly five six game losing streak, and, and that's not well that's not pretty for any side. Even if you have got an element of comfort,
2: yeah. No, I think it's just a case of show me something. You know um, that second half against more well, to bring it up again. I hate to, but it's like it was just so abject, and I think. You, you just have to show something. It's th- I think it's three defeats in a row now in the league. The first time that's happened since Scott Parker's reign. And you know, when you're approaching that kind of form, it's always a worry, no matter if you're if you're safe or not. And I think it's also sort of a mental hurdle just for supporters. I'm not sure how you guys feel. Obviously, I know Fulham are far from a one-man team. They've shown that they can score goals without Mitrovic, even when he's in the side. But just to sort of show that you know we can still we can still we can still put teams not necessarily put teams to the sword, but put together. Good performances without our star striker, and just to find other ways of of um, you know of, of of winning games essentially. Uh, and what better time to do this than now? I think it's the pressure's off. Um, whether that results in a good performance, I guess we'll wait and see. But it's it's a great opportunity to um, to finally get some points on the board against teams that um, Fulham really should be getting points off.
1: And Jack, the record at Craven Cottage, we've got to remember, is still pretty. Phenomenal. Yes, not as many wins as other sides, but only four teams have come to the cottage and won Spurs, Manchester United, Newcastle United, and Arsenal. I, I think it's not been quite a fortress this season, but it's still been a, a tough place for, for teams to come and, and get a win. I mean, there's been quite a lot of draws. Yeah, I mean,
3: if you got to the end of the season with that being the case, I think you would say that that's a fortress season. Four teams came over the course of the season and won at the cottage. I'd be very very pleased with that as a Fulham, you know, from a Fulham perspective. Yeah. That's the kind of things that you're, you know, you're bouncing off and the kind of form that has led us to to good league finishes in the in the final. They, you know, in these areas. So so that's a that's something that we can we can look at and uh, I, obviously the crowd we back up for it, I think this week there's been a there's been an element of a lull, I think generally around the fact that there hasn't been many home games. There hasn't been, you know, things for Fulham to particularly cheer about since that Manchester United journey. So, you know, it's been a couple of weeks, right, with an international break thrown into the mix. Just to get back to the cottage and get that buzz again at the weekend, I think will give everybody a lift. and might just be enough to, to push Fulham back onto the rails again, if you will.
1: Yeah, I'm really really looking forward to this one. As you say like, I mean we had the Arsenal game back in March which was at the Cottage, but I think we kind of knew that uh an absolutely banging form Arsenal was probably going to come to the Cottage and win and and they kind of killed the atmosphere very early on with those uh with those quick fire goals. We haven't had a a winnable Premier League game at the Cottage I think since Wolves came which was end of Feb. So we're looking at 6 weeks here kind of with a game that you can get excited about, go to the Cottage and know that it's a it's a winnable game, not necessarily one we definitely will win, but um yeah I'm, I'm definitely excited to get back to the cottage and i'd love it if we could just get back to winning ways and uh, and steady the ship uh, a little bit it's been a, it's been a tumultuous few weeks right we're going to take another break afterwards we'll get into some of your questions and then this will catch on Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy with Jack and Ahmed. Uh, Just another quick push for the fact that Fulhamish is doing a big old merch sale. End of stock. Want to get rid of shit out of my loft, basically. Um, Some really nice Jozo collection t-shirts and posters all for sale with 40% off. They're basically going for cost price. Um, Get them while it lasts. Very limited sizes and colors. Uh, Use the code FISH40. No spaces, all capital letters, get 40% off, grab yourself a banging t-shirt for the summer. Um, they look lovely and um, yeah, they're, they're going for absolute peanuts. So uh, please head to fullamish.co.uk forward slash shop, grab yourself a t-shirt. I'd be very, very grateful. Right. Uh, let's then do some emails and then this will catch on. Um I like this one, first of all, from Sam Purcell. Bit of perspective. Um, Sam says, more of a statistic and point of discussion rather than a question. But as our season threatens to peter out a little bit, I thought it'd be worth pointing out that last season, Brentford went on a run of seven defeats and one draw from eight games between game weeks 18 And 27. Also, Brighton had a run of three draws, one win, and six defeats in 10, including six defeats in a row. They also scored only six goals in this 10-game period, with one goal in those six defeats. And as we all know, Brighton and Brentford are now the greatest clubs to ever grace the Premier League. Point being that it's not unusual to suffer a bad run of form at some point, especially for a newly promoted team. And the fact we had more or less secured safety with half a season to go is an unbelievable success. We may as well put our trotters up, have a beer and enjoy the relegation battle from afar. Another reason to be cheerful is that Kibana will be back soon. He will give us some unpredictability as well as vibes, which we all need to lift the gloom and doom. Of the rather bizarre circus of recent weeks. Keep up the good work from Sam. Um, Jack, I I like that. Some real reasons for optimism from Sam there. And he is right that runs of form like this are kind of normal. They're not anything to actually call the doctors about. It is fine. No,
3: it's fine. I mean, also, you know, bear in mind that Brentford's run like this last season. nearly dragged them into the relegation scrap, right? Like Because it was a little bit earlier than ours and they were slightly less fortunate in terms of points on the table. Uh, and it threatened to to really drag them in. It was only christian Erickson's you know return to to full fitness and form that really started to turn things around for them at the end of the season and meant that they finished strongly but yeah it was it, it was one that threatened to bring them in Brighton similarly were on course for a european spot and and fell away it's It's okay to have these these bumps in the road, especially you know as Sam says with uh, we're newly promoted squad and especially considering the holes that have appeared in this newly promoted squad I think you know obviously we're talking about Mitrovic missing but we we talked briefly about Alex, uh, Anthony Robinson earlier and, and the fact that there's no cover left back I think Fulham will see the fact that we're light in various areas in this squad and look to rectify that in the summer and it's something that we can we can be proud of and, and look to kick on with so yeah 100% I agree with Sam um, you know it doesn't mean that we can't look at the games and be like, let's, let's try and win them. And it doesn't mean that we can't look at the games here and try and analyse how we can win them. Um, but Fulham are in a good spot and there's definitely no need to over panic uh, as far as I'm concerned.
1: Yeah, Ahmed, it must be interesting for you coming into Fulham as as, as a neutral journalist and, and seeing the kind of state of play of the fan base and stuff. And I mean, it is an odd situation for a newly promoted club to be kind of this safe so early on. And what I guess I'd love to hear from you is, is what do you feel like from the outside Fulham fans reaction to recent events has been, do you think it's been a little bit over the top or do you think there is some, you know, justification to be worried about, about results in, in, in this kind of end of season run, like what should Fulham realistically be achieving? Um, and I'd like to hear that from someone that doesn't have the rose tinted glasses on that. We, um, We often do.
2: I think it's a bit of both I think it's always um, it's, it's okay to be worried about a, a pull run of form um, I think more often than not I think it's better to watch the performances rather than the results uh, the performances are always a better indicator um, and it's just the, I think the most worrying thing for Fulham fans uh, from what I've seen is just that the, the performances over 90 minutes have not been consistent at all over the last few games um, you look at that Arsenal game they were, I think Fulham were very weak particularly without Paulinha in midfield um, you Obviously, the Bournemouth game as well. We've touched on. Um, so yeah, I think those performances are perhaps the biggest worry. Rather than I think if Bournemouth, if Fulham put up a bit, uh, put up a fight in those games and created decent chances and maybe didn't take all of them and came away with a loss, I think it'd be a bit more encouraging. Um, but no, I think it's. I, I always I, I try not to. Um, Cool fans entitled whenever things happen like this. But you get to a point now. where you Fulham, you compare Fulham and, and Bournemouth seasons. You know this campaign. It's 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 almost night and day. Uh, three defeats on a bounce for Bournemouth this season has kind of been a run of the mill thing. Um, whereas now for Fulham, it's like, oh my god, it's uh, <laughs> where, where are we going to go from here? What's going to happen next season? Um, I think th- the fact that this is a, this is the point that I touched on um, in my match piece after the Bournemouth game. But the fact that. Last season was the first season in ages that Fulham knew where they were going to end up in the next season, right? And that allowed them to plan in a way that they haven't been able to previously with early signings of Paulinho and and Pereira. Uh, And that resulted in obviously such a great start to this season. And now we're sort of starting to see that peter out a little bit, which is perfectly fine because Fulham are not in any danger. I think the fact that um, fans are frustrated now at this point in the season when things are kind of petering off, um, it just goes to show how well they've performed. Uh, and I think they should be very much encouraged by their season, even though it hasn't ended yet. I think it's, it's, still, it's still a remarkable season off this considered.
1: I mean, I, had, I feel like I've got an article brewing in me, Jack, about the fact that this is made mid-table mediocrity. This is what we wanted. This is what for six years we haven't had, where it's been. I mean, I mean, going back almost arguably 10 years since there's been some kind of level of mid-table mediocrity, because even those two seasons in the championship where we did finish about 16th, 17th, there was genuinely relegation worry until maybe the last three or four games of of the season. This is what it's like to support Palace and all of those clubs that we looked at with kind of envy whilst we were there drowning at the bottom end of the table. But actually, the the reality is is that this mid-table life and we experienced it a lot in those kind of wilderness Premier League years, is, is, is kind of fine. It's, it's not exhilarating, but also you're not there biting your nails every week.
3: Yeah, this is what we were calling for. Um, and we were calling for this, I think it's is worth pointing out, because we wanted to find those opportunities to blood youngsters, right? In order mm. to, to find that kind of settled area where we feel like we can get in to some of the youngsters and, and, and actually get the minutes. Now we're in that opportunity. We're in that, we're in that moment. Let's see it because that was part of the, I'm not going to say agreement. No one made the agreement with us. But it was part <laughs> of the, it was part of the deal. That's what we wanted. We were like, you know, we talked about Matt O'Reilly. We talked about Fabio Carvalho, obviously slightly less so in terms of championship and, and making his way through, but Luke Harris, we've talked about these players who have left because the opportunities weren't there and have gone on to shine elsewhere. And now we're talking about the fact that we finally hit that moment, which we were looking for. Right. Let's see Luke Harris. Let, you know, these are the opportunities in order to to make that work. So it's going to be interesting. I, I actually think, you know, we talked earlier about the fact that Marcus Silver's ban might quite not quite matter for these next two games. I actually think if you're 2-0 up against West Ham with 70 minutes, Marco Silva brings Luke Harris on. I don't think Louis Poe does. Not necessarily because I think he has any problem with it. I just think it's a bold move for someone sitting in for a manager to make. Whereas I don't necessarily think it's a bold move for, for Silva to make.
1: But won't Marco just be in contact via radio? It, that's the thing about the touchline ban. It never feels like that much of a... Unless I've misunderstood Ahmed and he's not allowed to radio down but I'm sure he's allowed to be in some sort of communication
2: yeah no I think he'll, he'll definitely be able to radio down but he touched on I mean I think after, I think in the pre the pre Bournemouth presser he was talking about how difficult it is for a manager I think he just had to say that just to sort of make it look like he was bigger than it actually is but yeah you're right I don't think it's that big of a deal nowadays when we've got you know you have got a direct line down to the, the basically to the, the the manager actually on the touchline Louis Beau. so yeah I think he can he can still get his instructions across but in terms of the ferocity and the ferocity in terms of how he wants to sort of g his players up it will be missing for sure.
3: Yeah, there's an interesting thing on that in that, obviously, we we look at something like rugby, right, where the managers sit high up in order to assess the game tactically. And actually, the people on the bench are just sort of, I don't want to say lackeys, but you know what I mean. Um, You know, people (laughs) people there to carry out the instructions. The managers make all the decisions from a position on high. And I wonder how long it is before we get to that point in football. Because, yes, obviously there's the element of man management of having your manager on the touchlines, but Xavi was talking about it about Barcelona the other day when he was on a touchline and He was like, actually, I've, I've understood our game far better while sitting up here in the stands because I'm actually able to read the game from a tactical perspective and see what, what bits are working and what aren't, which you might not be able to see so much from the touchline. Uh, So I wonder if that's something that will be looked into in the future because there's definitely something in it.
2: So Scott Parker had a similar sort of thing last season where like the football was really drab and... the sort of uh, I think the the divide between the fans and and him himself was was just so big. He just wasn't the fans were booing at certain times, jeering when you know obviously Scott Parker, Scott Parker was passing backwards and stuff, well, not himself, but the, the players in the team were instructing them to sort of recycle possession. If he was passing backwards, I think it'd be a bit of a, a, bit, a bit of no, worry. we've seen both, Ahmed. We've seen both. Yeah, well, so sadly. <laughs> but um, there was a time in the middle of last season where the fans were really getting frustrated I think it was when Fulham were really pulling away and um, Bournemouth's automatic promotion hopes were kind of almost in I guess looking like they were in the dust Uh, Blackburn was sort of chasing as well the the Bournemouth football was just so dire like it was really bad and you got a touchline ban. you took a seat up in the stands And was like, oh, actually, I don't think he openly admitted it. But in the next game, a lot of things changed. (laughs) Let's Mm. just say that. And I think it's just worth considering now we're at this point in the season where it can essentially be experiments galore for Marco Silva, whether or not he'll be like, you know what, actually, maybe we need to try a couple of things here.
1: I've always kind of wondered it as a fan and I always put it down to the fact that I um, am just some heathen that knows nothing. But like if I watch a game and I'm front row, I hate it. I don't get a sense of the game. I know that like, it's quite nice for atmosphere. And sometimes, if I take someone that's a non football fan to a game, maybe I will select like front row because they get a lot of out of it because they feel really close. But as a, I love my seat high up in the hammy end. I feel like I can oversee the pitch and I can see what's happening. And I've always found it funny that managers don't want that view. I mean, they get it in analysis and, and stuff like that. But I've always, wondered why more managers don't. I think Sam Allardyce famously used to spend the first 45 generally up in the stands, didn't he? And then second half, he used to uh, come down to the touchline. I think there's some changes on that on the way, definitely different ways of doing it, particularly learning from, from other sports and, and what can be gleaned. But I think there's an element of, Fans would get pretty annoyed if if the manager's not by the touchline barking at the left back um, to uh, to to track back. Um, it feels like something that uh, football fans will feel like their managers lacking a bit of passion, um, and, and it will take a brave soul to uh, to prove that uh, actually they don't really need to be there right uh, let's do this'll catch on before we end ahmed welcome to this'll catch on um to give you some context ahmed this'll catch on started about 18 months ago and is basically a chance for fulham fans to submit chance to the podcast, um, in the dream, in the faint dream that they might be sung by the masses. Um, they very are actually then sung by the masses, uh, but it doesn't stop people sending them in. So, um, I get you and Jack to, uh, put your musical ears on and, uh, judge whether you think these chants have any chance. Um, Going with a gentle start with you, for you today, Ahmed. Just one entry into This Will Catch On this week. Uh, this is from Daniel Broadley. He says, Hi guys, love your work. I'm a regular listener to the pod from Down Under in Sydney. I'm sending you my This Will Catch On before I bottle it. Could improve on the audio, but this is my first and only take, so sending it your way before I decide not to. Song for Kenny Tete to the tune of Penny Lane by The Beatles. Recorded on a very quiet afternoon at work in Sydney. Enjoy. And that is from Daniel so here we go. This is Dan's submission into this. We'll
0: catch on. Kenny Tete's taking down another customer. How many tackles will this man today amass? All the wings that will try to pass. You're ending on your ass. Kenny intercepts another through ball just in time. Makes a mug with yet another perfect touch. That'll do nicely, thank you very much. This man is clutch. He's also Dutch. Can he in <laughs> my heart out on the right? Here, beneath the shining cottage lights, I sit and meanwhile back with Kenny Tete. You're my hero, you're my Superman. You bend steel with your mind and you can fly. When Ja Felix made you clutch your thigh, it made me cry. Don't ask me why. Great. Oh yeah, good time. Kenny Tete in my heart out on the right. Here beneath the shining cottage lights.
1: There we go. Dan's entry into this will catch on <laughs> anyway for Kenny Tete. Oh, that's it's good not it. That yeah, is really good. Are they always that good? Um, there is quite a high bar. Well,
0: a year high and slash a half low, in, depending on bar, how you look at it. The
3: bar
1: is pretty good at
3: this point. Uh, that was excellent. I've really enjoyed that. The, the, uh, the yeah. Annie's Dutch, ex- exquisite. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But also just starting off with a line about a customer was just brilliant. You're yeah. like, oh, excellent. We're right in this, are we? Fantastic. Well done, Dan. brilliant. Loved it.
1: I no Penny idea, Lane like, should oh be man. a football chant. I feel like it's one of those simple songs that everyone knows but isn't yeah i can see the chorus catching on it's just kenny teto's song is pretty
3: ingrained isn't it so like it's obviously not gonna it's it's not gonna shift but i really enjoyed that that made me happy yeah
2: yeah yeah Um, it really lifted my spirits to be honest (laughs) there we go (laughs) welcome to the world i'm gonna be humming that all day
1: (laughs) Welcome to this or catch on. It's a little bit of fun at the end of the Thursday club that uh, hopefully lifts the spirits of, uh, of of you two and also everyone listening as well. Uh, Well, thank you very much for listening today. All we need to do is name the podcast as ever. uh, I ask the Fulhamish community on telegram to, uh, to give some suggestions on the morning of the pod. Um, What would you like out of these ones? Uh, Avast says hammer the hammers. Uh, Luke says, "Hammer points home." Uh, Richard Bamba says, "Moys silver hammer," which obviously <laughs> a reference to uh,
3: <laughs> that
1: song is going to haunt me for the rest of my days. Uh, it's a little catch on reference, uh, Ahmed. We uh, we've been caught out by the song. Um, Maxwell's silver hammer, twice. Maxwell's silver hammer, and I've just been caught out by it again. Uh, Cam Ramsey says, ironing hammers out. And then Nick Gale says, West lamb slaughter. Uh, what would we like? To- oh, and, uh, and West meets Easter from James H as well. Go like that. West meets Easter is good. That's good. Like that a lot. Yeah, are we going over that.
3: Yeah, that for me. Uh, I mean, West Lamb Slaughter is funny because of Easter, but Jesus. <laughs> 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 also, it's going to look proper dumb if we lose three nil, isn't it? <laughs> so yes, we can't be no. having that. Hammer the hammers <laughs> is the kind of thing we did that we did. We did this with uh, with Bournemouth, didn't we? And we lost, so we're not making that mistake again.
1: Yeah, you've got, we've got to be an element of uh, how does this look if we don't win uh, mm. with, with, the, with the podcast name? All right, James H, West meets Easter. Very good name. Thank you. And thank you for my guest, Jack Collins. Thank you as ever. Thank you very much, Sammy. It's always a pleasure. And Ahmed, thank you so much for stepping into Fulhamish. We've absolutely loved having you and we can't wait to have you again.
2: No worries, mate. Pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me, man. All right, we
1: will be back uh, on Sunday evening, Monday morning, reviewing what happens in that West Ham game, and then the Fulhamish podcast will return this time next week for the Thursday Club. Have a lovely Easter weekend, whatever you're doing, and fingers crossed Fulham can get back to winning ways. Come on, you whites. You white.